Hey everybody, welcome to Clark Talks, the podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news in Clark County. Thanks for tuning into our first show. I think it went really great and a lot of you downloaded it and listened to it. That's awesome. Today we're going to bring you our second show. It's all about the elections. I'm Damien Pizzanti. I'm Katie Gillespie. Yeah, I thought our first episode went really well. We had a lot of, um, actually, a good amount of listeners for a sort of a trial run. And, and so thanks so much for listening in, guys. And um, yeah, so we're just going to get right into our second episode today. Um, and not to, to stress anybody out too much, but we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, presidential election today. We've got um, a special guest coming in from uh, Pacific University to talk to us about the local support for Donald Trump in the 2016 presidential election. Um, and then we're going to close today's podcast by talking to uh, Greg Jane, our editorial editor, about why newspapers do endorsements. We've uh, gotten a lot of questions about that over the last few months. And I think a lot of newspapers are getting questions about why they do endorsements. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that process and what that looks like. That's right, guys. If you thought that we were above the national politics fray, you were wrong. So it's going to be a really great conversation. But to start with, we're going to introduce you to our new county government reporter, Jake Thomas. He's coming to us from Spokane. You were at an alternative weekly up there, right? The Inlander? Yep, I was at the Inlander. Cool. I got to say, that's one of my favorite alt-weeklies. I always thought the Inlander did some really great in-depth reporting on what was happening up in that that side of the Pacific Northwest. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. So tell, tell these guys a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you did beforehand, what you like to do now that you're here. Um, well, I grew up in Colorado in a little, uh, little cow town in the mountains. Um, I moved up to the Pacific Northwest as soon as I graduated from high school and Went to college and um, sold a couple articles to newspapers after college and, you know, worked at some, some newspapers, did some freelance work and moved to Spokane for the Inlander, um, for the, where I've been for almost two years. And so what, were you, what were you covering at the Inlander? Uh, the Inlander, I, I started off on city government and then I moved to um, social services. Um, and for a while I was covering uh, pot, the pot industry up there, but we kind of, I don't know, we quit uh, covering it quite so much because a lot of the stuff has just reached you know, stalemates or, or has been figured out. And I did that. I did uh, natural resources and moved my um, primary beat over to social services and uh, and public health. So I got to know, did you, were you aware of the political situation in Clark County before you applied for this job? Uh, I had some inkling of it because I follow Katie on Twitter. And so I, I saw some of her tweets about it. I had one moment where I was super confused because there's a a Tom Milkey on the county council, <laughs> and there's a Todd Milkey on the uh, Spokane County Commission. Yeah, and they're related. And I just had, remember when I, I first moved, it was, it was pretty early when I moved to town in, in Spokane. And I remember reading one of those tweets and just, just had a moment where I was like, I don't, where am I? What, <laughs> what am I what missing? Am I, what am I missing? What is, who's, where, who, what county, what's, I don't know, just I had yeah. a moment of utter confusion. Small and then I, world. And then I realized that people just have the same name. So. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It's funny because even though we are like geographically about as far apart from each other as we could be, uh, the political situation up in Spokane, like specifically the Spokane Valley, is pretty wild itself, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, I mean, they're, they're, it seems like they're fairly similar politically. They're both kind of divided where they have some, some good hard left liberals and some good hard hard right republicans here and they have they have the same thing in spokane county but but in spokane county you have the the valley which is 
which is very interesting politically, where you have, you know, uh, state rep Matt Shea, who is always a source of controversy and headlines. And uh, I don't know if you have an, an equivalent here in Clark County. but I, I don't know that we've uh, that we've had anyone who has uh, uh, pulled a gun on a, in a road range incident. No, yeah, I, I, think, I think that's pretty he's, unique. He's to... his own guy, for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, his own guy. And he, he is uh, an entity unto himself. Yeah, I don't think anybody from um, Clark County went to the Malheur refuge occupation as well. So, How do you think you had to prepare for this beat differently than you might um, your typical like city government beat? Uh, probably not too differently because there's at, at Spokane city government there's you know some level of dysfunction and drama and I covered that for a while and it sounded like it didn't quite reach the same level as Clark County and I, I honestly didn't quite understand the level of of what was going on at, at Clark County until I got here and started doing um, some some research and started reading some old clips and uh, Katie, I have to ask you, when you sat down to like do your first day of work, what was going through your head? Well, so I didn't, I, I did all my interviews over the phone for this job, so yeah. I didn't get a chance to talk to any of the reporters before I got in. My, my partner worked here at the time, so he was able to kind of give me, um, you know, some warning, but, but I think he, even afterward he admitted to me, he was like, I don't think I knew how stressful it was until mm-hmm. you started covering it, but, um, uh, you know, I mean, one of the things, and I blogged about this when I first got here, is is I was asked, like, how do you do working with difficult people? Like, mm-hmm. how are you at working with people that don't want to talk with you? And mm-hmm. um, and and frankly, I was really naive, and I thought, oh, no, everything, everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. It'll be good. I've worked with an angry <laughs> city councilor before. No if you problem. just get to know them the right way, they'll at least talk to totally, you. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and that was not the case at all. I, on day one, sat down. And I sent out emails to um, you know, the county manager, um, all the county counselors at the time, um, Don Benton, um, and and other department heads, and and um, heard back from Jeannie Stewart, you know, almost right away, and got lunch with her, um, but never heard back from Tom or David, and um, and then I I got this kind of scorched earth email from from Don Benton and. You know, he wouldn't meet with me because I worked with a cancer on the community, and and it was like oh. day one and or day two. But at that point, and I was like, oh my god, what am I? Yeah. What, what is wrong with these people? Talk but about salting the earth. It was like really, really aggressive, like right from the get go, and yeah. and I wasn't expecting that. So, uh-huh. um, so yeah, I mean, it was a little, it was a little overwhelming in the first. Um, couple of days there and and um you know continued i think to be overwhelming i i I will say it has been um you know now i'm in a position or was in a position where you know i had 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 good working relationships with Jeannie stewart julie olson mark bolt mark mccauley the county manager um i'm sure you'll find the same thing as is you know they're willing to talk to us and and um you know be frank with us at times and and um so the dynamic has certainly shifted there, but um, mm-hmm. I mean, just the sheer hostility I think that that county reporters have been met with for so, such a long time by a majority of the county council, um, I think, has really been a detriment to the community and to to us as reporters. I mean, we're not getting the same level or, or same level or depth of reporting that I think that that people should demand. 
What what have your first few days been like, Jake? Well, I had um I think in my my first um, council meeting on Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, I think it was Tuesday. And so I, I had a, a very cordial uh, introduction with uh, both uh, David Medor and Tom Milkey. I went up and introduced myself, and it was seem nice, you know. Um, Tom, I think Tom Milkey told me that uh, the Columbian Fire is any reporter who tells the truth. So, um, so okay. I don't know. I guess I don't know what that means for me. We're still here. So. Yeah, so, yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it, it was fun. It was, it was, a lot of it was, uh, I saw some drama there, but I didn't. A lot of it was, you know, a lot, a lot of government stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, Katie, how do you think this beat might be different now that the election is over? So or at least the first election is over. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're gonna see, regardless of who wins in this election, you're gonna see a very tremendous shift in personality and policy. You know, we've got two Democrats, um, Tanisha Harris and Roman Batan, um, in districts three and four, respectively. Um, you know, up for up for potentially for election here and then you have Republican John Blom who I I tend to sort of camp him in with Julie Olson Mark Bull you know those types of conservatives um Mm -hmm. a little bit more moderate um and then and then you've got Eileen Quiring who who leans more in in Councilor Medora's camp and and um and has said as much, you know, that she's very supportive of everything that she, that he's done. Um, mm-hmm. But but at the end of the day, you know, they they all have um, their personalities are still. I think for all four of those candidates are much more sort of mild mannered, much less argumentative. I think that's been one of the things that has plagued this county for so long is that you've got a pretty intensely argumentative group of people. And I, I think that you'll see a lot of that starting to um, sort of be soothed and quieted a little bit in mm-hmm. the coming months. But right. um, How do you think it's going to change the reporting on that? Piece? I, I think it's going to be a lot more... I think my reporting has been very much focused on the people and the personalities. Of- I interviewed all the candidates who are running for uh, county council, <clears throat> and both John Blom and Tanisha Harris, um, his Democratic opponent, they both really stressed that they want to collaborate, that they want they don't want to get caught up in party affiliation, that they really want uh, they want to have a collaborative approach, and they don't want to have n- nasty headlines coming out of the county. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, heard heard that probably to a lesser extent in the other race, but that, that was that sentiment was also present that they the candidates wanted to to work with each other and focus more on policy. It seemed like from my conversations with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all four of them met with you. I didn't meet with them. I just talked to them on the phone. Oh, uh, but I mean, yeah, they all called me back. So I great. got them all on the phone. They all talked to me. And I mean, even that already yeah. is a transition, is a shift yeah. from years past. So. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll see. Maybe once we're in office, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So, tell us about some of the stories that you're working on right now, and what we'll what we'll be reading from you pretty soon. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote a story uh, about uh, just ca- campaign finances and the races, just see who's getting money and where they're getting it from, and just what kind of support they're getting from various segments of the community. Um, and the Republicans are getting have, are outraising their Democratic counterparts. Um, I think what's interesting is John Blum, uh, he's gotten a lot of money from the uh, from a, a political action committee associated with the, the realtors. Um, and he is a realtor uh, himself, but he, he had some some opposition in the primary from the Clark County Republican Party. But it was it was dwarfed by the really the amount of, of money and support he got from the from this political action committee, which I thought was was interesting. And 
And with uh, as, as far as just the, the the fundraising between John Blom and Tanisha Harris, they're pretty close. But but John Blom has so much support from this political action committee that that uh, it looks like Tanisha Harris kind of has an uphill battle as far as as far as money goes. Cool. That's cool. a good one. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate oh, you're that. welcome. turn now today to the presidential election um we were gonna wait to do this podcast but i think with recent events uh decided to to push it up a week Um, yeah it was too good it was was too good too good to wait what media outlet would not want to wait into the fray of this election totally so um (laughs) we uh uh by the time you guys are listening to this a lot of ballot a lot of you will already have received ballots as they went out on wednesday so but today we're sitting down with dr jim moore who's the director of the Tom McCall Center for Policy Innovation um, at Pacific University uh, down in Portland. And you, I don't know, what is this, what is this word? Fasol, what are, what cephologist. are you? What is what cephologist. What is that? Cephologist. Yeah, cephologist is someone who studies elections. Oh, cool. really? Yeah, and I learned it because I read a, a daily British uh, newspaper, the Financial Times. And gotcha. that's how they were describing people who were talking about the elections in Egypt after the Arab Spring. No kidding. And I oh, said, cephologist? Cool. I'm a cephologist. <laughs> it comes from the Greek word for pebble, because in ancient Athens, the first democracies, they would actually drop pebbles into urns. Yeah. Gotcha. Different colored pebbles. Cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh. Learn something new every day. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so we brought you in today, obviously, to talk a lot about demographics and elections and really what our local makeup in Clark County looks like. Clark County is... Um, very interesting because it's so close to Portland. It's part of the Portland metro area. Mm-hmm. You know, it's part of that census area. Mm-hmm. It's the southern outpost of Washington State. So all the control is in Olympia and economic control in Seattle and things like that. And so uh, it, it's a place that has attracted a lot of people because of taxes. Um, in fact, the cover of uh, one of the financial magazines about 20 years ago had retired to Vancouver. You don't oh, really? have to pay sales tax in Oregon and you don't have you to pay, pay income, income tax. tax in Washington. And basically what they were doing is, it viola- is, is advising retirees to violate the state law of both states. Of course. Because yeah, in Washington, if you buy major things, you have to pay the sales tax no uh-huh. matter where you bought. Uh-huh. But, you know, and, and so it, it has those, that kind of influx. Uh-huh. But then, especially in the past like 15 years, it's it's been going. You know, you got more high tech going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got more um, simply growth because there's no land use planning like there's in Oregon. Mm-hmm. So developers are just building stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's been annexations. Camus and Vancouver now run into each other. Mm-hmm. You know, all these kinds of things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it, it's a, a rapidly changing demographic place. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting politically. John's uh, John Hill, our colleagues centerpiece last Sunday to me was really fascinating about and, how and talk this, a little bit about what that centerpiece right so about. so if you guys haven't checked it out yet definitely go check it out because it's really interesting it talks about how Clark County very accurately 
mirrored the uh, presidential elections. I think they chose the right president. What was it all but four times? 25 out of the last 29 elections. Yeah, in like a hundred years or something. Yeah, like yeah. So we went deep back into data and, and found the results and how we voted. And, and it's a pretty fascinating um, data piece that he put together. So Yeah, yeah. He really did a good job with it. And, you know, what I think is so interesting about this place is it's for so long it was like a blue-collar workaday town and those people were, you know, traditionally Democrats. Mm -hmm. And I think nationally speaking, that uh, anybody who's been paying attention knows that labor's influence has been just steadily waning over the years. Yeah. And it seems like Clark County is certainly not immune to that, even though we still have plenty of blue-collar workers. So I guess for somebody from your perspective, what is going on with the way the demographics are voting and this shift that's happening? Well, two things combined here in Clark County. Um, the first began in the 1970s and 80s. So that's when we begin to see what we eventually called Reagan Democrats. Mm -hmm. so, so those blue-collar workers who may or may not have been unionized, a lot of them were unionized here in Clark County, but they looked out there and said, you know, the Republican Party is where my values are better than the Democratic Party. And so we begin to see that kind of shift go on. At the same time, the, the trade unions are beginning to decline simply because the industrial base in the entire country is beginning to decline. That's here in Clark County, or all of a sudden you see timber is beginning to diminish. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was a key, key thing. Right. And so the unions then become bigger, but they're bigger with professionals. Mm -hmm. So teachers unions and things like that are the, kind of the classic example of that. So you got Reagan Democrats shifting to vote Republican. You've got the nature of the unions themselves shifting to be more professionals rather than blue collar. And then on top of that, here in Clark County, then you get all this influx of people mm -hmm. um, as it becomes a safety valve for Portland's growth and also becomes a place where people say, you know, I can move to Yakult or something and I can kind of be off the grid, but I can drive to the grid you if I want to. You can get to Portland if yeah. you need to. Yeah, you can get to Portland. You know, I can, I can still find a Fred Meyer to do my shopping, mm -hmm. but I can live out in the woods. And so more and more people are doing that around here. Mm -hmm. The people who are coming in tend to be more Republican because, among other things, they don't want as many taxes. And so you just get this roiling up of things. Mm -hmm. And yet in all of that, Clark County accurately votes for the winner in the presidential election mm -hmm. uh, and during all that time. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just amazing. It's just a little microcosm that reflects what's going on in the entire country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you think that fits in with this election that's going on now? Yeah, are those Reagan Democrats, do you think they're voting <clears throat> for Donald Trump this year? Or what are they doing? Well, it's interesting because um, I, I started looking at the Electoral College and how states were going to vote um, almost two years ago. Those predictions that I had made in March of 2015 are pretty much where we're going to end up. Hmm. There's some tinkering. Georgia, of all states, might actually go Democratic. There's I don't a lot think so. of these states. I don't are... think so, but it could. I've heard a lot of but... talk that Georgia, of all places, is sh slowly making this shift from a beet red state to a purple. Well, well in a lot state. of these states that we've never thought of as battleground states before that are now in play this yeah, year. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a crazy year. It, but, but nothing that you wouldn't have predicted happening by 2020. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. So do you think so, do you think the presence of of a character like Donald Trump in this election is is pushing some of that shifting? Up it, yeah, it, it's in effect accelerating it by maybe one 
one election cycle. Gotcha. But it's the reason Georgia's in play is because the demographics have changed. Mm-hmm. They now it's not a black Atlanta and white suburbs. Mm-hmm. Now it's a mixed Atlanta and high tech suburbs. Mm-hmm. High tech workers are Democrats. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Now does that same thing hold true? Because when I think of like East Vancouver, at least in my head, which could very well be wrong, mm-hmm. I think of that as a pretty conservative side of the state. Yet that's where the tech sector in this area is. Right, but you got to see then where do the tech people live. Mm-hmm. And that I don't know for East mm, Vancouver. Sure, um, it's where they live that the votes are going to take the place. Part. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and it's also there's a difference between manufacturing and software. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it's but where I come from in, in Oregon in Washington County, mm-hmm. just west of Portland, um, up until 20 years ago was reliably Republican back to the beginning of the state in 1859. Mm. Wow. And now, because of high tech, is reliably Democratic. Mm-hmm. In just a 20, it, it took, you know, it was bumpy for 20 years, but now there's just no doubt. So where do you see Clark County going in this election? Well, I think Clark County is going to, once again, be the bellwether. I think Clark County is going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Mm. Um, uh, it, simply because there are enough questions raised within the Republican coalition about Trump Mm-hmm. that people are either going to give Clinton a half vote, mm-hmm. like your member of Congress, mm-hmm. um, who's going to vote for Paul Ryan, or they're going to give her a whole vote by actually voting for her. And the net gotcha. result of that is going to be, I think I think it's, it's going to go for Clinton. Okay. So so I don't know if you saw um, on October 12th um, this, this study that 538 published uh, regarding counties that may swap that mm-hmm. may that were mm-hmm. democratic mm-hmm. in 2012 that may go republican mm-hmm. and vice versa so clark county is listed as one of those counties mm-hmm. that may go that was democrat in 2012 right. but that may swing republican mm-hmm. um we do have a real strong uh, a, a pretty firm stronghold of of democratic or of, of donald trump supporters here between right. senator don benton who is running Who's his running campaign the statewide his state, campaign um, yeah we had the only uh, delegate who was actually a Trump supporter at the RNC um, was from Clark County. So I guess where do you where does that fit into your? So do you do you just not put any stock by that? No, or? I do put stock in that. But what we've seen in this election is that the elites are not moving anything. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. They simply aren't. Okay. We see that with the Republican Party saying, oh, we can't have Donald Trump. We have to have an alternative. Mm-hmm. And the electorate in the primaries and the caucuses said, I, we don't think so. We are not listening to you. Exactly. Whatever. And we yeah. see it in the Democratic side where Hillary Clinton has had to say, you know, I'm not that much of a free trader. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, right. She's had to come back in and, and be, in effect, reined in by the electorate. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Bernie Sanders was very popular. I mean, he won the caucuses here with yeah. like 80 in Clark County with nearly 80 Well, in the entire state. In the entire state. Yeah. as well yeah. I mean, just like, um, but yeah Clark County was exactly yeah that. but but that that tells me that the voters here are not responding to endorsements and leaders well and haven't we seen so the many. same kind of fracturing within the GOP party on like a local level yeah yeah we've definitely seen some fracturing in the local Republican Party for sure um, I mean do you think that's do you think that's unique to Clark County no. or no mm-hmm. okay no this is the, the head of the national party gotcha. duking it out with right, so right. What, what trying to say you Paul Ryan and you Donald Trump you don't have to like each other, but just don't yell. Yeah. <laughs> so what is going on there? And is the same thing happening on the Democratic side of things? <clears throat> At this point, you know, if, if Donald Trump were not in this race, the Democrats would be the focus because clearly the Bernie Sanders phenomenon showed that the Democrats since 1992, Bill Clinton, when they became a centrist party, there's a huge chunk of the Democratic electorate that says the heck with that. Yeah. We want to be George McGovern. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so there was a huge conversation, but that got dwarfed because of Donald Trump. 
So here's what's going on with Donald Trump. We have seen several revolutions in the past 35 years in the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. So mid-70s to early 80s is the Reagan Revolution. And all the bad blood that we're hearing in the Republican Party, you find exactly those words by some of the same players back then. Mm. I'm not going to vote for this nominee. This is the worst nominee in the world. Talking about Gerald Ford mm -hmm. in 1976. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, so that kind of thing. But as Reagan came in and it became a social conservative party, people left the party, not necessarily to become Democrats, but they left the party, but more than enough people came in to replace them. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. So, so just the idea, I mean, it just shifts. It was, it was a shift shifting around. shifting ideologies. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so that's existed. where the Reagan, De the Reagan Democrats were part of that. But also this is when evangelicals come in in a big way, those mm -hmm. kinds of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. We find the same kind of thing in a smaller way in, in the 2000s over the Iraq war. Mm -hmm. A bunch of people say George W. Bush is ruining the Republican Party. They leave, but more than enough people come in to replace it. Sure. Here's the issue going on right now. There aren't people coming in to replace Republicans who are leaving over the Trump phenomenon. So the ones that are leaving, where are they going and where are they starting to find their allegiances? Well, at this point, we expect them all to become unaffiliated. Uh -huh. Unaffiliated is the fastest growing uh, identification around the country. Hard to tell in Washington because you don't actually register by party. Right. Uh, but the, when, you, when you scratch an unaffiliated voter, you don't find unaffiliated. You find a disaffected right. Democrat or Republican uh -huh. who will vote for the Democrat or Republican. Right, reluctant party members. Exactly. And so that, that's what's going to happen. We're not seeing a shift of people saying, oh, I'm going to go become a Democrat. So is this going to be one of those elections where we see another Ross Perot moment where a third party candidate is going to come in no. and siphon off a bunch no. of votes? Um, we're three weeks out from election day right now, and mm -hmm. we haven't seen it, and it ain't going to happen. Mm -hmm. Period. Mm -hmm. Gary Johnson has been hoping. Uh, but, you know, he needed to learn a little more geography yeah. about Syria. Yeah. He came so yeah. close until that moment. <laughs> he was he almost moved from 10 percent to 11 percent. Yeah. And then he moved back down to 8 percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we said Jill Stein didn't just never took off. No. So we're, we're just not seeing it. You know, another thing that I want to ask you about, and it's great that you pulled up this map of the, the electoral map in front of us, because. You can just, for this anybody that can't. This is 2012, county by county across the country. So just so you, yeah, so yeah. that's what we're looking so, at. So sure. just, just for people listening, if you leave the Portland area, so Clark County, Multnomah County, and then Hood River County, mm -hmm. and if you drive from there on I-80, you don't hit another Democratic county until Colorado. I mean, the Democratic Party is obviously very concentrated in the urban areas. Yeah. How did they lose or did they ever have the rural vote? They had the rural vote when it was um, uh, unionized. Uh -huh. So in Washington and Oregon, it was coastal towns, union people who were especially working in the mills and shipping, mm -hmm. um, especially the kind of World War II and later. Mm -hmm. um, and then as those have declined... It's it's this is what Trump is is talking about right now. Mm -hmm. There's been a decline in our industrial base, mm -hmm. and so those people moved away, or they switched allegiances, or or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but that that that's when it was in Washington and Oregon, and quite frankly in Idaho, which now it's hard to find a Democrat. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in, in those northwest states, in Nevada, um, mm -hmm. same kind of thing, Montana, mm -hmm. um, you could find Democrats in pretty big numbers in rural areas. Mm -hmm. 
but in effect that shifted and it's because of the growth of the environmental movement which mm-hmm. is seen as the war on the west mm-hmm. it's because of republican stances on social issues mm-hmm. the, the, there's been a self-segregation what, what type of republican are you talking about that is leaving the party are we thinking more of like the the republican of the 80s that just can't handle the intensity of what's going on out there now this is think of uh george herbert walker bush mm-hmm. so what we traditionally called country club republicans mm-hmm. they've been the backbone not ideologically for the past 30 years, but financially, they're leaving. Mm. Um, and, and a great place to see this with kind of a new version of that is in Silicon Valley right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few of those libertarian-leading high-tech billionaires right. um, are supporting Trump. They're actually saying this is dangerous, and they're putting money into the Democratic side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're a natural Republican base mm-hmm. because of their libertarian leanings. They want smaller government, less regulation, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Another group that we're watching really carefully that's been a bedrock of the Republican Party since 1976 is the evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Um, they are beginning to split along generational lines. Mm-hmm. Um, last week when the Trump tape broke, uh, we had Ralph Reed, who's the old line you know, inheritor of Jerry Falwell and those guys, Mm -hmm. Uh who came in and said, we have to vote for Trump because the presidency is not as important as getting the Supreme Court seat. And then the younger evangelicals are saying um, very clearly to their parents, um, I can't believe you're defending a man who talks about my body like that. Uh And so it's just fascinating. So there was a group of Liberty University students who wrote an open letter to Jerry Falwell Jr., their president, berating him for endorsing Trump. Are the Bernie supporters leaving the Democrat Party? At uh, this point, point, we don't see that. And the reason we don't see it is because there's nowhere for them to go. Um, yeah, I mean, without a viable, there's really no alternative. strong candidate yeah, there's in no either of those parties. Uh, yeah, you... yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's no alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, so the trick is, and this is, this is the hardcore new Trump supporters and hardcore new Bernie supporters. Mm-hmm. They haven't voted before. Mm-hmm. How do you predict who's going to vote? Have you voted before? Mm-hmm. Right. And so we need to see them move beyond having taken part in the primary process. Mm-hmm. Are they actually going to cast ballots? Um, can we, let's talk about the congressional races a mm-hmm. little bit. Here in Clark County, we've got um, we've got Representative Jamie Herrera Butler, who who it seems at this point is is the clear favorite to win. Yep. Um, and then so, State yeah. Representative Jim Mueller, who um, who is running uh, for her seat um, on a very far left of center platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and and of course these these congressional races, you know, we're hearing increasingly um, these sort of elite Republicans that you've been talking about is the, is the, at this point yeah. it's not about electing a Republican president; it's about electing a Congress that can stop Hillary. Yeah, so, exactly. um, I mean, can you talk a little bit about that phenomenon? Sure, sure. So here's the fear: um, people have done the math, and I've done the math on my own, and I I agree with them. If the Trump effect is in a relatively safe district. So the, for instance, the Republican usually wins 55 or 60%. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Trump effect is 5%, the Republican's going to win. Gotcha. But if the Trump effect is 8% or higher, mm-hmm. there could be switches. Mm. There are enough places around the country where those switches can take place that Paul Ryan is afraid of losing his majority. So wow. is this a legitimate fear? Because it seems like, well, just about, well, pulling out there shows that, well, just about everybody hates Congress. They like their representatives. Exactly. Exactly. And so the idea that Congress only has, you know, a 7% rating or a 19% rating on a good day is bogus because that doesn't determine your vote. Your vote is my representative is doing a great job. Right. And so that's the power of the incumbency. Um, so it's really hard to, you have to have, a, in, if the Trump effect is big, 
that will be something that can overcome incumbency. Mm -hmm. But it's going to have to be really big mm -hmm. for that to happen. It, and it's also why open seats are so important. So do academics like yourself really think the Trump effect is a legitimate phenomenon that could have an influence in this election? Well, let me tell you this. Uh, I gave a talk to some Pacific alumni over the weekend, and we were talking about this. And there were alumni from Wisconsin, Colorado, and Washington State, about Puget Sound. Mm -hmm. And all three alumni were working on campaigns for state legislative races. And they have seen, because of the Trump tape, they have swing, seen swings of 7 to 15% in three days. Wow. Wow. So with this Trump effect in mind, should Jamie Herrera Butler be worried? Uh, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, she's well known. She's also, um, because of the struggles, her family struggles, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of personal connection people have with her. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, Mueller, when you look at him, he, he represents what might work in a much more liberal part. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of various century hills in Seattle. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to yeah. say, he seems um, like the perfect but, Puget Sound. <laughs> but he doesn't, so doesn't like... really work with the, the remnants of the blue collar, you know, the, the kind of centrist Democrats who are, are dominant here in Clark County. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. What about uh, more local races? Do you think we're going to see the Trump effect affecting um, like state representatives, state Senate? At this point, we don't know. My suspicion is that once again, if Trump keeps talking about the sexual stuff, yes. Mm -hmm. um, last People time we saw this, yeah, line. last time we saw this was 2006. Across the country, people said, we're tired of the Iraq war. Mm hmm. And, and it was a good year for Democrats. Yes, it was. Um, people running for state legislature, county commissioner, city mm -hmm. council were knocking on doors and people were saying, what are you going to do to stop the war in Iraq? And I think you're seeing, I mean, a lot of political advertising that is tying people to local uh, candidates to Trump yeah. in weird ways. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. that, like, if you, if you understand what a, what a county commissioner does, if you understand what a state representative does, it's like, mm, I don't know that that's a fair... Yeah, <laughs> you can't put them in the same category. Right. Yet, the emotional argument there is so compelling it's that so it's exactly. hard to ignore. Year, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. but, but your county commission has done a very good job of politicizing itself. Uh -huh. yes. And so because of that, if there is a Trump effect, it's going to hit Mm -hmm. huh. mm. That'll be really interesting so, to see. Is the Trump support strong in Clark County? Uh, we don't know. My mm. suspicion is Clark County, when you look at it, is a county that is pretty evenly divided, mm. R's and D's. So maybe a better question then, is anybody yeah. in this county really excited about their candidates this election? Yeah, true Trump supporters are really excited about Trump. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at other candidates, no, they're not just not generating the, the excitement. Mm -hmm. um, which if you're a challenger, you need to do because overcoming the incumbency effect is tough. But you also have to be a cause. Mm -hmm. You have to be Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Um, you have to be Donald Trump, right. overcoming all the all the the mainstream Republicans. Mm -hmm. You've got to be a cause, and we're just not seeing that. Mm -hmm. I, I think the media has so much become you know since mm -hmm. we're since we're reporters, and of course we're big wonks about that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, I mean, can you talk about that a little bit? And and you know how. how have you ever seen this before where the media, it becomes, it seems like we're just as much of a character in the whole, in the, the entire election as, as anybody else. Not just a character, but like a pariah. Like a par yeah, yeah, like yeah. an yeah, actual exactly. participant. We so. have seen it, but before the 1970s and 80s, it was back when there was the partisan press. Uh -huh. Okay, gotcha. so back in the 1920s and earlier, of course you saw this. Yeah. yeah. In those days, you could run for office. In fact, in Portland, up until the 1960s, there was a Republican paper and Democratic paper. Uh. If you were a Democrat, you wouldn't even be named 
they wouldn't even list the candidates and your name in it wow. if you were oh, the wow. wrong party. Wow. So, so yeah, so so that. But then then Reagan started this, um, and it got amplified. The, there's the liberal media out there, mm-hmm. and George Herbert right. Walker Bush took off with that, mm-hmm. and it's come and gone. Mm-hmm. It's come and gone. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's fascinating because Trump who is a product of that partisan media yep. in terms of his appeal. Yeah. It's not the tease on washcloths that he sells. Uh-huh. It's it's The Apprentice and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is out there saying the media is, is a conspiracy against me. Mm-hmm. And what that is doing is it's playing into people already thinking that the media is split, mm-hmm. uh, which it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also partly because the media is so much weaker. Um, I, I deal with this this with my students all the time they want to look at the media and they so they want to do msnbc cnn and fox but the the thing is while we look at all those groups as symbols mm-hmm. no one watches them yeah fox which is the biggest rating is averaging like three million people mm-hmm. wow. that's like wow that's 75 percent really <laughs> of mm-hmm. the population of the country mm-hmm. and msnbc it's almost vanishingly small they're almost a statistical blip right but by gosh they're the liberal side of it right right, right. and and so this plays into that uh-huh. what that's different about trump is he's saying fox is doing it too everybody for our last segment of this uh week's podcast we're going to sit down with another one of our staff members greg jane the editorial page editor and we're going to talk about endorsements and newspapers that do it newspapers that don't and that kind of thing so hey greg thanks for coming on well thanks for having me and Mm -hmm. and i should note we call them recommendations rather than endorsements and the, the sole purpose of that is we want to emphasize that we trust the voters to make an informed decision, but as we write in all of our recommendations, um, we we trust the voters will become well informed and leave it up to them. But we want to add to the discussion, and so that's the reason we do that. Doing endorsements um, has become kind of a hot button topic in like national conversations around the media lately, and it seems like some newspapers are bowing out of it, and then you know the some of the ones that do their uh, readers are reacting pretty hotly to those. And that happens, I think that's a reflection of the political climate nowadays. I mean, that happens to a degree every year, right? It it does somewhat. um, Fortunately, I think people around here, compared to much of the national climate, uh, people around here are are pretty even keel. We don't get a lot of off-the-wall responses. People might disagree with it or maybe call it stupid, but since I've been here doing this, we haven't had any specific threats or people kind of coming unhinged at a specific endorsement. Okay. So who makes up the editorial board here? The editorial board is myself, uh, editor Lou Brancasio, publisher, uh, co-publishers Scott Campbell and Jody Campbell. And occasionally during the editorial board meetings when you're sitting down with candidates or from representatives from whatever groups, there'll be a reporter in the room. But when it comes to the conversation, I mean, what are the, where do the conversations happen where you actually discuss who you're going to endorse? When it, the typical processes will bring in two candidates for race or prior to the primary, we'll have three or four candidates. 
They will meet with the editorial board. Often a reporter will sit in on those meetings. In that form, the reporter's not asking questions. They're there to get background, to take notes that they might use in a future story. Um, and so the editorial board, we ask questions of the candidates. And then after that meeting, we uh, discuss the meeting. We discuss what we already knew about the candidates. It's not solely predicated on their meeting with us. Right. Um, and then we will make a decision on which candidate we want to recommend to voters. And the the value in that is it's not so much in making a decision, we like this person or that person, but in trying to call why we like a particular person. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And therefore, that can help us make that recommendation to voters and just kind of flesh out the candidates. Do those, do those conversations ever get kind of heated, or, or do you find that the editorial board is fairly like-minded? We are... They don't get heated. We do have disagreements occasionally. They're, we're in a tough spot now with only four members on the board. Right. Occasionally, we have a 2-2 split, but we haven't had any trouble talking it out, I, I think. As I said, we the goal is to emphasize each candidate's strengths and weaknesses, and we're all pretty easygoing. I don't think anybody has gotten terribly strident mm -hmm. in their opinion and mm -hmm. in any situation. Okay. Why do you think it's important that we as a news outlet and a re community resource uh, give people suggestions on which way they should cast their ballots. Well, and it's funny, and that's you you brought up a lot of papers aren't doing endorsements or recommendations nowadays, and particularly at the presidential level. Yeah, the Oregonian just came out yeah. within the last week and said they weren't making an endorsement. Right. At and the they didn't in 2012 right, as well. Right, right. Uh -huh. um, and part of that, and I can understand that, because our viewpoint is the endorsements or the recommendations for the down ballot items for county commissioner or county councilor I mean um, for school local board for mm -hmm. yeah the local representatives I think those are much more important to our readers from the standpoint of by this point certainly almost everybody knows who they're going to vote for for president they're well versed on the candidates and the issues they've seen these people in the public eye for 15, 16 months now. Yeah, I don't know that a lot of people are picking up their Columbian to make it, a lot of undecided voters right. are going to the Columbian. Mm -hmm. for, president, for president. You're correct. Right. But when it comes to city council, when it comes to county council, when it comes to the legislative races, I think that's where we can really have an impact and help inform readers. Mm -hmm. So, so in the editorial board um, endorsed Democrat Hillary Clinton. I guess why, with that in mind then, why even do an endorsement in that race? Well, and, and that's a good question. And that's something that we've talked about um, we did think it was important for us to lend our voice to the discussion, but again, on a race like that, we probably don't have as much impact as we do on the smaller, the more local races. Right, right. So with these endorsements, um, I mean, you mentioned that people around here are a little bit more even keeled than they might be in some other places. Mm -hmm. uh, have you still encountered some blowback after an endorsement has come out or a recommendation? We, um, occasionally we will, uh, I will receive emails or other board members will receive emails saying we're crazy. We often will get letters to that extent and we're happy to publish those letters mm -hmm. if they meet our, our parameters for letters to the editor. Mm -hmm. And we often do publish them saying mm -hmm. I don't see why the Columbian endorsed this person when their opponent has this and this and this going for them. 
Mm-hmm. I think the the race, the seventeenth legislative district Senate race between Linda Wilson and Tim Probst, we got a yeah. lot of that. Kind yeah, of and that one's going to be very competitive. So you would expect mm-hmm. it to be a little more intense. Totally. The mm-hmm. reaction. Totally. That, that one will probably be very close. Now, has this sure. editorial board at any time? Uh, made a recommendation, and then after the fact, been like, oh, man, no, maybe actually that wasn't the, the best you know, guy to go it, with. It, since I've been here, and like I said, I've been doing this for three years, I can think of at least one case where, uh, I'll give you a little background. We um, In the primary, if there are more than two candidates, if there are three or four or five candidates, we will sit down with them prior to the primary. Mm-hmm. We will write an endorsement. Um, or a recommendation for two candidates mm-hmm. because two will advance the general election. But we usually weight it a little more. We It's fairly clear who we prefer of those two. There have been instances where between the primary and the general election, we have switched. Oh, really? And, and gone with our, our second choice, we've elevated them to the first choice. Presumably mm-hmm. in response to like new information that right. has come out about those yeah. candidates? Or exactly. Okay. Yeah. You know, one, I think, core tenet of our business is trying to just get straight down to the facts and just find the core of the story that's going on and, you know, leave the passions out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, how... In the, you know, that's just news reporting. How then does somebody like yourself at a, um, that handles more of like a recommendations or is crafting opinions, where does your own personal philosophy and versus like what like the political winds might be going, how do all those things kind of blend together when you guys are creating these? Well, and, and that can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we all have our own opinions, but... I think the people on the board and myself, I like to think I'm fairly open-minded. Um, mm-hmm. We have, we don't make it a point to endorse X number of Republicans, X number of Democrats, but we have found each year when we go back and look, it's fairly evenly split. More maybe than party affiliation, we do have specific issues, which mm-hmm. might be very important to us. Mm-hmm. In some cases, that might favor the Democrat, in some cases might favor the Republican. I think everyone on the board, for example, we are all strongly opposed to an oil terminal Uh um, in Vancouver. And so that specific issue, not that any of us are are single issue voters, but that one will weigh heavily on any races that might have to deal with the oil terminal. That concludes another episode. Yeah, thanks so much, Greg, uh, for for coming on and talking to us about that. And thanks everybody for listening. See you next week.